bleed my own blood. Nobody! I'm doing great, Asher. It's a pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure for the football season to be right around the corner. We've got preseason football. I don't know if you saw it, but I posted on Twitter a few nights ago, Asher. I literally constructed a folding table, an old college desk, a couple tote boxes, and a closet organizer into this monstrosity of a corner desk with a couple different computers, an extra monitor, and a 19-inch TV hooked up for NFL ticket. I'm ready for football, baby. I did not see that. I don't know how I missed it. I'll have to check <laughs> that out. You need to retweet that. Oh, I will. Uh, but, uh, but we digress. Uh, we have an extremely uh, special guest on with us tonight, uh, Mr. Evan Silva. How are you doing, Evan? Hey, what's up, guys? Good to be on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for taking the time out for us uh, tonight, Evan. Uh, we really just wanted to uh, dive in. We, we know you do a lot of great work at Roto World here, and, and we also know that you delve a little bit in the Dynasty world a little bit as well, so we wanted to bring you on and, and talk a little bit about Dynasty. So before we get all into all of that, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about, about you. I, I know you're a pretty standoffish guy, so we're going to pull it out of you a little bit here. How, how did you get your start in the fantasy football industry? Uh, graduated from college, thought I was going to go to law school. Um, I had a degree in political science and philosophy, kind of just decided that I didn't want to do any more school after college. And I'd always read this website called rotoworld.com. And I emailed, uh, you know, the, any email address that I could possibly find on RotoWorld. And I eventually um, got in touch with Greg Rosenthal, who's now the, um, the head editor of the Around the League blog on NFL.com. Well, he used to be a Roto World guy for a really long time. Um, they let me work for free for like six months, and they hired me for a season, and then they ended up hiring me full time. And you know, when he when he moved on, my, myself and, and Patrick Doherty at RotoPat and Adam Leviton and Nick Menzio and our rookie Raymond Summerlin, we we kind of now run the show. Uh, at Roto-World. That's an amazing success story and having all of that potentially, um, you know, what, what could have been lined up for you from, you know, from the legality and lawyer perspective and into what is um, now. So you really, it's almost like you took a leap of faith and at the same time you, you were passionate about what you love and, and you're really living the dream on, on behalf of all of us here. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, that, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely a lot of hard work went into it. Um, you know, it's, and it's definitely something that you have to be extremely passionate about. And it, it's awesome to see every year uh, more and more people with that same kind of fire popping up, you know, around the Internet and, and on Twitter. I mean, Rotoviz has, I mean, basically taken the, the, uh, the fantasy football by, by storm, I think, in the, matter, in the matter. I know they were around last year, but they've really come on strong this year. I know that you've written articles for them, Jeremy. And, you know, it's, it, it has really furthered the growth of, of fantasy football awareness uh, in, in the football community in general. So many people, you know, love to do this stuff. I, I think it's awesome to see. It's, it's a booming industry, and it's a, a great industry to be in right now. 
it, it's funny you mention that because it's such a competitive industry because it, and it's, a, it's a wonderful community and we're all in this together and we all look out for one another. I really do feel that camaraderie. And there's so many people doing it that, you know, every once in a while you'll, you'll see somebody say something to the tune of never write for free, never write for free, you know, get, get your worth. And, and while I, I appreciate uh, you know, the, the thought process behind that. I, I think y- you were living, breathing proof as to, you know what, sometimes you just got to roll up your sleeves, get down and get dirty. And that's what we're doing at the Fake Pigskin Dynasty podcast as well. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> we're, we're looking up for you here. So um, what, what kind of projects should we uh, look forward to coming up here on uh, Roto World in the near future here? Well, I'm putting out a top 150 tonight. Um, for, for redraft, uh, in, in the Roto World Draft Guide, I have all my takes on uh, uh, dynasty strategy by position. You know, what, how do you treat the quarterback position? How do you treat uh, running backs? How do you treat wide receivers? How do you value tight ends? Um, and also, uh, tomorrow, we're, Ross Tucker and I are going to put out two podcasts. Uh, it's called The Fantasy Feast. And uh, that'll be, you know, available probably tomorrow in the early afternoon. So be on the lookout for that. Very cool. So you, you mentioned a little bit more on the dynasty emphasis. Is that something that's new to um, to the site, or have you been doing that for a while? Well, I, I mean, I've played in in dynasty league in one primary dynasty league for over a half decade. So I've been familiar with it, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, it, I think in general, it's something that has become more popular uh, in the the recent pa- in the very recent past. You know, over the past couple years, um, I think that it was you know something of a it was rare to to see anybody talking about dynasty leagues a couple years ago. But because so many people have gotten into fantasy football in general you know, that, that has kind of followed suit. And dynasty, the, the interest in dynasty leagues has risen immensely in a very short period of time. So, you know, we're, we're definitely writing more and more about dynasty leagues. Uh, we got Ryan McDowell from DLF uh, doing a lot of stuff for us, both on the free site and in our draft guide. I mean, I think he's got three or four articles at least, maybe more than that. Uh, that he's put out just within the last month. And he, and he handles our, our Dynasty League rankings. Uh, and, and Mike Clay does annual Dynasty League rankings on Roto World, like for a startup. Uh, and then I, I also put out Dynasty Rookie rankings on our free site, and I have updated ones in our draft guide. So, yeah, I mean, no, no question. It's, it's, a, a grow, it's something that a lot more people have become interested in, interested in recently and therefore you know because there there is such a growing demand you know we we gotta we, we gotta pump out more content yeah it's almost like as if dynasty football in a, in a truest sense is really just symbolic for how deep this sickness goes for all of us right. in, in terms of fantasy football and how just we just immerse ourselves in this. And, and Ryan McDowell and Mike Clay and, and all of our buddies at DLF, you know, we, we have them to thank for, for really helping to, you know, push the, the path forward in terms of dynasty. So, so you mentioned uh, Ryan McDowell and you mentioned Mike Clay. So who are some other analysts, you know, from a dynasty perspective that, that are some really great uh, minds? that you like to follow? Uh, I like the, the podcast that Jared Bihar and Tim Dynasty, Tim Stafford, Dynasty Tim on Twitter. Uh, I, I really like their podcast. I've been listening to their podcast actually for a couple of years. You know, there, there are some useful minds out there. I, I think Matt Williamson of ESPN Scouts Inc. Uh, he, he has some interesting ideas um, about you know, how, how to value players, how, how to view players uh, from a long-term perspective. I mean, I, you know, it's the, the guys at, at football guys always touch on stuff like this. I mean, Matt Waldman is, is awesome uh, in the dynasty realm. Uh, he, you know, he's not a, a specific dynasty person per se, but he, you know, has great ideas about, you know, how, how to value players and how to, how to evaluate players, period. So, you know, th- those are just a, a few names that w- would come off the top of my head. 
Well, those are quite a few names off the top of your head. Anybody out there listening to this, you've heard of these folks that Evan was right. just talking about. Um, and it, it's great because it's it, there's so many different perspectives that you can look at Dynasty football from. And, and you really do want to take a mesh of, of the, the deep dive in, in the statics, uh, the stats and the film study. And, you, you know, basically use any and all information out there to come out with your own perspective. So let's go ahead and transition into some of your personal perspective. You, you mentioned you've got a lot of content out there going from a dynasty strategic standpoint here. So talk a little bit more about that. How, how do you approach uh, your, your dynasties and you know how you approach that year one? I think that wide receiver is a position to build around in dynasty, and I don't think that that's emphasized enough. People, you know, a lot of people like to sit sit on theoretical running back talent. Um, but first of all, running backs have very short shelf lives in the NFL. And, you know, a, a lot of what goes into them, be, you know, in a sense, becoming useful fantasy players isn't always directly tied to their talent. It's so much tied to their opportunity. So when, when I evaluate like a, a, a rookie class, I'm looking for guys who I think will, uh, you know, at the running back position, I'm looking for guys who I think will get early opportunities. I'm not even necessarily, you know, banking on it on talent. Um, I mean, of course, I, I factor that in, but I want I want guys who are getting the chance to to touch the football quickly, uh, or else I, I'm you know pretty significantly devaluing them whereas at wide receiver i'm willing to wait um, especially on guys that are, are drafted in the first first two or three rounds um, because those teams have used uh, significant draft capital on those players and those teams will wait um, on those players whether it takes two or three years uh, because because they used uh, high draft picks on them I, and, and as we've seen, look, you know, wide receivers don't always get off to fast starts in the NFL. Um, so I, I think that in a startup league, essentially the entire first round should be made up of wide receivers. Uh, and, you know, you could sprinkle in a couple of tight ends in there as well. But, you know, I, I really strongly downgrade running backs in Dynasty uh, and really strongly upgrade wide, wide receivers and, and tight ends who I believe can be elite scorers. I think that that sounds that sounds about right. Um, so as far as who are some of the players you target in like uh, in startups? Like who are your go-to players you find that they always somehow sneak onto your rosters? Well, I really haven't done a startup uh, recently. I'm, I'm starting one on Friday. But I haven't done a startup in a couple of years. But, I mean, just guys off the top of my head that I would have in the first round. And, and you know, th this is totally different from redraft. Uh, Keenan Allen, I think, would be a first-round pick in, in a dynasty startup. Uh, he's 22 years old. You know, he's already shown that he can be a big-time wide receiver in the NFL. And he's only going to get better. Um, you know, it, it was interesting. During the offseason, there was... You know, a kind of report that uh, a certain talent evaluator thought that maybe his long-term ceiling was a little bit capped, but I, I don't see it that way at all. I mean, this guy became a, a legitimate number one wide receiver at the age of 21, and I mean, the, the arrow on him is pointing directly up. Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Brandon Marshall's contract doesn't tie him to the Bears, any longer than uh, the next two years or so, Alshon Jeffrey is going to be a 1A sooner rather than later. I think he's 24 years old. Uh, he, he only scored seven touchdowns last year, uh, and eventually he's going to be an 11 or 12 touchdown scorer. I mean, I think you can argue him as a top five overall dynasty pick. For me, the number one point one would be Demarius Thomas. And I, I know that people would say, well, you know, what are the Broncos going to do after Peyton Manning? I mean, that's a fair question. But we've also seen, you know, those alpha-type wide receivers produce. Without, they don't need elite quarterback play. They just need targets. You know, unless we're talking about like a, a Ryan Lindley, John Skelton 
type situation. But th- that's rare that, that quarterback play is genuinely that bad. Uh, but Demarius Thomas for me would be the 1.01, um, you know, 26 years old, uh, whereas Calvin Johnson, I believe, will be 29 this year. Uh, so if I was drafting number one overall, I would take Demarius Thomas. I'd probably take Des Bryant second. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that with Calvin because, you know, he, he, there's no denying it. He, he's the best receiver in the game and, and until some of these these young guys, you know, do a little bit more. Um, but I'm with you there. I, I'd much rather, if I'm approaching a startup, go go with the Demarius, the Des, the Alshons. And, and in fact, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Alshon because he's actually my target in the first round. And I look to trade back to get to that point of Alshon. And if I can, and basically what I like to do is I like to trade out of that first round. And I know this sounds crazy, but I'm essentially punting on year one. And then I like to pick up an additional pick in that second round so I can double up on the talents of, you know, the Michael Floyds, the Mike Evans, the Sammy Watkins, um, around that range and pick up additional fourth, fifth, sixth round picks along the way. And and going back to what you talked about with the running back position as well, what I started doing this offseason was, uh, and Ryan McDowell wrote about this uh, on DLF, and it was a very good article about just punting the running back position altogether. Where yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, last year, you know, there, there's nobody I like more at the, at the position than Christian Michael. So I'd reach and I'd get him in the fourth or the fifth round, and I'm thinking, well, 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 why? I I can be doubling, tripling, quadrupling those wide receivers, get that right. bulk, that core, and then you pick up another first-round pick for the following year, and, and you get your, your quarterback, your wide receivers, your tight ends. Quarterback is another weight position. But then that following year, go in and, and then go for those running back players that you're just filling in a gap with. And you can pick up those those aging veteran backs in a startup draft for for pennies in the 13th round and still get you by yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, some of these young running backs that people are, are valuing very highly, you know, Andre Ellington, Giovanni Bernard, I, I would be already looking to bail on them, to, to be perfectly honest with you. I, you know, I don't think that long-term they're true bell cow backs to begin with. Um, you know, they, their, their perceived value right now is so high. I mean, I don't know if it'll ever be as high as it is right now. Uh, and, I mean, if you could turn, you know, Andre Ellington or Giovanni Bernard into Keenan Allen, you know, there's no question I would take that. Uh, you know, I would I would think about shipping Andre Ellington for Mike Evans if I could, even though Mike Evans is not, quote-unquote, proven. Um, I, I would I'd be looking to bail on, bail on running backs, um, especially when they're, they're still in that theoretical stage where people have high expectations for them, but you know they're they're not necessarily you know like long term RB ones. There really are no long term RB ones. I mean that's that's really rare for for a guy to legitimately be an RB one for more than shoot two years. You know I, I I would I would be bailing on on running backs wherever I possibly could, especially if I could get high end second receivers and, and, and wide receiver ones. Very interesting take. Um, what what are your thoughts about the, the rookie incoming class right now and, and what you thought about them initially and when you initially did your you know your top rookie rankings coming in for this class? And you know, are, are there any big movers or any big changes that, that you've seen um, you know since the start of preseason? Yeah, my wide receiver ranks haven't changed at all. And, you know, again, if you're doing a rookie draft, don't let, like, Allen Robinson slip to the third round just because there's not a lot of buzz on him. You know, put him on your team. It's it's funny, as we start to get into the preseason and, you know, these guys aren't playing or, you know, they're dealing with a, a nagging injury or their number four on the depth chart. You know, we're not hearing a lot about Devontae Adams. We're not, we're hearing, oh, you know, Jordan Matthews, he had a bunch of drops in the preseason opener. Opener, And people already start to get worried about these guys. I, mean, I saw it today. Fantasy douche stole Jordan Matthews from Chris Burke after the, the Eagles preseason opener and a bunch of draft picks for Tavon Austin and Cordero Patterson, 
Um, I thought that was a really savvy move. I, I'm, I'm in that league for the fantasy douche to come up with Jordan Matthews, uh, you know, kind of buy him low almost. Um, Jordan Matthews, is he's not yet 22 years old. He'll turn 22 years old next month. You know, th- those are maybe opportunities that you could look at. Jordan Matthews has a chance to be a long-term wide receiver one, I think. But, you know, as, as we, you know, we, we, we're not hearing buzz about these guys, that doesn't mean that they suddenly suck, you know. So, and this, this wide receiver class was amazing. I mean, it, and, and it's legit. I, that, that whole first round with, um, in, in a rookie draft, in a dynasty rookie draft, should be filled with wide receivers. Uh, and, you know, maybe Bishop Sankey mixed in there, uh, maybe definitely Eric Ebron, maybe Austin Safarian Jenkins. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I would view that. As for a, a mover and shaker, because I value opportunity so much at the running back position, Andre Williams would be a guy that, you know, w- would have moved up a lot for me. Devontae Freeman to a, a lesser extent. But Andre Williams, like, right after the draft, I didn't know if he was going to get opportunity, uh, but he's obviously going to get that. So I would bump him up from like a mid-third round pick in a dynasty rookie draft to shoot probably mid-second round. Yeah, that's a, that's a great perspective. Every, everybody was getting Andre Williams with the third round pick early early yeah. on this offseason. That that ship has sailed if anybody's still doing a startup. And yeah, I, I got a, I've got a question in regards to Andre Williams. I kind of got a whole bunch of Twitter backlash after the, I think it was the Hall of Fame game, where I, I tweeted out and said that, uh, you know, I, I see Andre Williams taking the bulk of carries, you know, at some point this season, and everybody lashed out because, you know, they're riding the, the Rashad Jennings train at this point. But what's your take on that, Evan? What do you what do you foresee as the, as the year goes on? Yeah, the, the Rashad Jennings support system is really digging in its heels, isn't it? I mean, they yeah. are they, they are dug in, man. And um, I, mean, I don't know how it's going to go. You know, we, we know that Andre Williams has limitations. We, you know, it, it's not like some rumor that he can't catch. Like it's factual. He really can't catch. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he caught one pass in college. So. Yeah, and then he went to the combine. He literally—I mean, he literally can't catch. Like they're trying to teach him how to catch. That, that isn't going to work. You're—you you're, know—you're—you're you're pretty much born or not with the ability to catch. The the hope, if you draft Andre Williams, is that he becomes a Michael Turner type, and, and that that Tom Coughlin sees him as that. And really, to be a to be a functional lead back in the NFL, you you can get away with not being able to catch. As long as you can pass block, but he's got to learn to pass block, you know, because these coaches are not going to want to leave a running back in the game that, you know, the, the opponent knows that the run is coming when that player is in. You, you've got to be able to just at least be functional in the passing game uh, and just be able to pass block. And that's what Andre, that's Andre Williams' biggest obstacle. And he struggled with that in their second preseason game. But he's learning. I mean, he's got the size to pass block. Uh, you know, I think he's a smart guy. He went to Boston College. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm optimistic about that. And, look, if this guy just becomes a functional pass blocker, I, I mean, I, I think that they could theoretically build their offense around him. I mean, they, I, I don't think that they're going to have a, a big-time explosive passing game or anything like that. I think they're going to want to run the football. I think that Tom Coughlin wants to run the football. He always has. Um, so I, I think right now, and Andre Williams is ticketed for the Brandon Jacobs role, uh, and I think that that could grow uh, as the season goes on, as long as he shows that he can just be a functional pass blocker because he's the best running back. He's the best runner on the team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything. I didn't fumble at all in college, so right. <clears throat> we know we know Coughlin doesn't like like fumbles. So, so let's let's move on to uh, some of the the happenings around the league here. Um, everywhere we go, there's there's a there's a new blog update, and you mentioned um, 
Evan, the, the Around the League, um, a great group. I, I, I do not miss an episode of the Around the League podcast. It certainly is is the best out there for all the latest and greatest news and updates. So let's move right in there. Um, hot off the press here, according to the Cardinals general manager, John Brown is the closest receiver he's seen since Anquan Bolden in, in terms of, uh, you know, style and play. So what are you thinking about John Brown and, and overall about, you know, how he can or, or cannot be involved in that offense in both the short and near term or in long term? I'm sorry. Yeah, so admittedly, this is a guy who early in the process I didn't really know a lot about. You know, he played at Pittsburgh State. I knew he ran four three four. Uh, and then he was productive at a lower level, but I, you know, I've never seen him play. You know, I, I noticed that he was a little bit old for a rookie. Uh, I think he's already 23. And then they took him in the third round, and they started comparing him to, you know, old Bruce Arians receivers like T.Y. Hilton. I, I thought his best comparison really uh, was Mike Wallace, uh, who, as a third receiver as a rookie under Bruce Arians in Pittsburgh had, uh, I think like 39 catches for 700 and some yards and six TDs. So if John Brown could come up with a rookie year like that, you know, that would be a big time win behind Floyd and Fitzgerald. Uh, but look, Fitzgerald's contract is coming up. You know, I mean, it's, it, it gets too expensive for as old as he's going to be. And as much as he's kind of declined, I mean, he, he could be easily be in his last year with the Cardinals, and John Brown could be the starter opposite Floyd easily by, by 2015. Yeah, sure. What are your takes on John Brown? I know this is a this is a guy that was he could be had in the fourth round of rookie uh, rookie drafts uh, all off season long until the 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 preseason um, hype started and we really saw what he's capable of. How high are you willing to take him now? Admittedly, I don't I don't know a lot about Brown other than kind of what Evans just said and what I've read in the last week or so on him. I know he had a really good preseason. It sounds like he's had a really good. Uh, training camp OTAs leading up to the season. I, I think, if anything, you can see that Arians does a really good job of drafting and developing wide receivers. If you look at look at Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Mike Wallace, <coughs> T.Y., you know, helped develop T.Y. Hilton. So those guys that are from small schools that may not uh, be on our radar, they tend to be very productive, and he hits more than he misses. Um, so I, I think he's, John Brown is, is significantly valuable. Um, and I, Mariah receiver is so deep this year at rookies, so you're probably looking at maybe a third-round pick. But if he has Antonio Brown upside, and we know Antonio Brown was a sixth-round pick, so um, you know the skill and talent is there, then, yeah, maybe, maybe a second or third round, depending on how the draft shakes out. Yeah, I really like the Mike Wallace comparison too because one of the things I kind of begin to wonder as we as we heard them talk about, you know, how they're they're going to roll out Larry Fitzgerald moving forward and and as receivers get a little bit older, they they lose a step along the way and, and you know, starting to move Larry Fitzgerald inside to become a little bit more of that possession guy. So so while John Brown, you know, it fits that mold of an inside slot guy, how often are we actually going to see him um, actually move outside and become that deep threat um, with Floyd and, and Brown coming in on select packages on the outside. So I can say, you know, for, for best ball leagues, he's certainly somebody that I want to put on my team as a late round arbitrage play uh, just to make sure, you know, I have him on my team if he does replicate something like Mike Wallace's rookie year. Moving on to Cincinnati, uh, it's it's been unfortunate for many people, including our, our good buddy Matt Riddle, who I believe had Marvin Jones uh, on about forty percent of his MFL team right now. <laughs> So uh, hopefully he's get, getting that under 40 a, a little bit here. Um, but he's been such a great value all offseason now, and, and now he's got a broken foot, and they're, they're hopeful that he's going to be back for week three. Uh, so, you know, maybe we're making a, a, a bigger deal about this than it, than it actually has to be. Um, but, Evan, what are you thinking about Marvin Jones, and, you know, what does this do for his value? And, and also, just as important, what does this do for the Bengals' offense? It's a big, big deal. Um, we, we've been working with uh, a guy, 
he uh, runs the Sports Injury Predictor website, and uh, you know they, they deal they use analytics to kind of predict injuries, which you know sounds kind of sounds kind of crazy, but they have an algorithm that they use, and one of the biggest red flag injuries that you can possibly have is a fractured foot, because not only is it extremely susceptible to becoming refractured, but it often regularly uh, leads to, to further injuries, whether hamstring injuries. Uh, I mean, it's, it's maybe the worst injury that you can possibly suffer as an NFL player. Um, I was already kind of really, you know, be- beginning to back down from, from Marvin Jones. I mean, I loved what we saw from last year. Uh, in, in, in limited doses, I mean, I, I cannot believe that Jay Gruden uh, wouldn't play him full time over Mohamed Sanu. That that really it kind of like pissed me off <laughs> last year, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. But you know, I was backing down from, him, especially with Hugh Jackson, really emphasizing the fact that he wants to run the football. Uh, you know, it was clear that Marvin Jones was going to be uh, very much a complementary role player. In an offense with a lot of mouths to feed and a 1A at the top in, in A.J. Green. So I think he was going to struggle for consistency. Now he has a, a severe injury that, you know, I, I would not draft him in redraft. Uh, in Dynasty, I mean, you just got to wait it out and, and hope, he, hope he comes back okay. But, you know, long term, I, I don't love him as more than like a, a wide receiver four. Yeah, that's a very powerful stance, and and it's 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 funny because we just talked and plugged the sports uh, injury predictor site two two weeks ago, so they don't even know they're getting two plugs here in within three weeks. So um, I actually saw, heard them on the Draft Sharks podcast a, a couple of weeks ago as well, and 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 the foot fracture you talked about, we, we were talking about with Julio Jones, and that's why I right. adamantly refuse to own Julio, and and you know I'm I'm dishing him at at, at the most value I can right now while he's not injured um but but knowing marvin jones has has this deal now are you bumping up sanu or are these targets going to redistribute to tyler eifert now who is let's face it getting uh, that sophomore value hit right now so everybody's you know really digging the rookies and everybody's forgetting about the likes of tyler eifert yeah well everyone wants to pass marvin jones targets around to you know players that they want to prop up but that's not really how I view it. I, I think that A.J. Green uh, could be one of the primary beneficiaries. I mean, I think that they're just going to – Hugh Jackson is a really good identifier of talent on his own team, and he's also a talent maximizer. Uh, we, we saw that in Oakland where, you know, everybody had a career best year. Uh, even, you know, Jason Campbell and, and Darren McFadden and Denarius Moore and, um, you know, some tight end who's probably out of the league right now. I mean – uh, oh, Hayward Bay had his best year. Hayward, be- Hayward Bay actually looked like he was going to make it under Hugh Jackson. Uh, you know, that, of course, is that ship has sailed. But, I mean, I, I think that A.J. Green is just going to get fed the football. I'd feel great about him. Um, you know, maybe Tyler Eifert gets a few more targets, but I don't think that Tyler Eifert is going to take a real st- statistical step forward until Jermaine Gresham leaves after this year. Gresham's contract is up in 2015 Uh, I mean maybe he'll get a few more targets but I don't think that it'll be enough really to matter very interesting let's move on to Andre Brown who is no longer a Houston Texan Um, a little less about maybe he becoming the next New York Giant football back to to muddy the waters there just just to wreak havoc on all of our Andre Williams talk here um, but, but what are we doing in Houston now? Um, you know, of course, Alfred Blue is getting a lot of hype. Jonathan Grimes is the guy that, um, you know, it looks to get the first crack at the backup job here. So what do you make of this money backfield here? Um, I, I, I think it's a backfield that you want to chase. And I, I would I would chase it. Um, because I don't think that Arian Foster's body is going to hold up. You know, he considered retirement last offseason. Uh, he, he's got bad hamstrings and, and a bad back. Uh, so I would, I would chase this backfield. I mean, I would roster Alfred Blue in a dynasty league. I think John, Jonathan Grimes should be owned 
everywhere possible. Um, Ronnie Brown, you know, we know what he brings to the table. And William Powell, we kind of know what he brings to the table. Uh, so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go chase those guys necessarily. But, you know, I, I would put Grimes and Blue on rosters where I can because, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, the, the, the primary thing you're looking for in a running back isn't necessarily talent. It's, uh, it's opportunity. And Jonathan Grimes, I mean, I think he has a good chance to get opportunity. Some people will say, oh, you know, just avoid this backfield entirely. The team's going to be terrible. You know, but that's that's not a good way to think because then then you miss out on opportunities to get something for nothing. Um, and that's what Jonathan Grimes right now is. Uh, he's uh, the potential to give you something for nothing, uh, and there's nothing better than that. Those are good points. I guess. Um, do we know the specifics of why they as to why they cut Andre Brown? I mean, it, from the preseason talk, it was seeming like he was, you know, going to even maybe get like first team reps over Aaron Foster. So, is, is there some injury that cropped up, or they just weren't happy with the way he was playing? I, I think he just sucked. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I know he had some like good fantasy weeks last year for the Giants, but you know, he averaged three and a half yards a carry. Uh, he he was available in free agency for an entire month. No one picked him up. Eventually, the Texans picked him up, gave him just a straight one-year, $695,000 contract, no signing bonus. I mean, the Giants didn't want him back. They easily could have had him, had him back. They didn't want him back. They must know something about him. I mean, the, he might be done. Um, and, you know, maybe he'll get picked up. Maybe he will. But I, I think there are a lot of arrows pointing at, you know, this guy might be done. Yeah, I mean, he's not old either. He's right. Andre Brown's fairly young. Is he like 25? I mean, I think he's 28, so. maybe. Oh, wow, I'm way off. <laughs> I could be wrong. No, I don't know. Hey. I thought he was 28, but I could be wrong. It doesn't matter how old he is now at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, that's um, Jonathan no, Grimes, yeah, I, I really do like Jonathan Grimes. Uh, he really did impress, very productive in college. I, I wrote a little bit about him back in back in March, uh, you know, because he, he was buried on that depth chart. But, it, it you know, it seems like these running backs that seem extremely buried, you, you, you kind of got to look – at what they're buried behind and, and what could potentially happen. And all of a sudden, it's almost like he, he's, he's kind of blossoming right now. And, and he really is a good all-purpose back. I mean, he ran a 4.53 at 207 pounds, and he ran a 6.84 uh, three-cone, giving him an, an overall agility score of 10.87 and, and as Sean Siegel has taught us you know everything under 11 is really what you want to go for right around that 200 pound range so I mean he really does have that lateral ability to be able to take on that that full full workload so I'm interested in him but I don't want to discount Alfred Blue at the same time so but but I couldn't agree with you more you, you want to have some sort of shares in this backfield because they're going to run the ball because Ryan Fitzpatrick well he should just go back to law school and do the opposite of what Evan did <laughs> Yeah no and Jonathan Grimes had uh, no I, I like to look at broad jump and Jonathan Grimes had 10 foot 5 broad jump that's real real good um, I mean, he, he's, he's not a slouch, uh, and, and he played well in, in Week 17 last year. I, I think he scored like 24 PPR points in Week 17 spot start last year. I, I think I, I fan-dueled him. I either fan-dueled him or I, like, pulled him out right at the last second. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I, can't, I can't quite remember. But he did score a lot of PPR points. Uh, you know, he can play in the passing game. He started their preseason opener. They, they like him, man. They, they like him. Well, Andre Brown is um, onward and offward. Maybe it was injury-laden and there was something else going on there. Toby Gerhardt also uh, sustained an injury, according, accordingly a, a hip flexor. Um, what, what are you making of this? Is, is, is it nothing? It looks like he's, for the most part, back and practicing and ready to go. Um, but at the same time, you know, that 
if anybody gets injured on their hip, they, that definitely gives me pause for concern, you know, knowing that he was a fantasy commodity that is going to come in and, and it's not like he's going to get, extre- uh, you know, uh, an extreme amount of red zone targets, but it's going to be very volume dependent. So can he still, you know, w- withhold that volume at this point? Yeah, and this is a guy who I think we should, maybe we, we should go around and uh, we each give our views because I would be interested to hear what you guys have to say about Toby Gerhardt. I really like him. Uh, I think that he is a, a volume workhorse sustainer back uh, who can play on all three downs. I mean, he was a starting outfielder on Stanford's baseball team. Uh, he replaced Adrian Peterson on passing downs regularly in Minnesota. Uh, really high yards per carry average, and I know that that's inflated by the situations in which he handled carries. Uh, but he was productive, and you can't take that away from him. Uh, and, you know, he was extremely productive at Stanford. And he's also got, I would say, above average to really good measurables. If you go back and look at his combine in uh, 2009 or, or whatever it was, or 2010, I really, really like him. Uh, I think they're going to feed him the rock. I think they're going to play good defense. And that's going to lead to a lot of opportunities for Toby Gerhardt, who I think is kind of a, a sleeper to lead the NFL in carries this year in a kind of Michael Turner or, or Peyton Hillis type of usage type season. I, you know, maybe I'm really overly optimistic, but I, I just think that, you know, this is a guy I want on my fantasy roster. Um, this is a guy who is going to get the ball a ton. So what do, what do you guys think? I really can't disagree at all. I, I love him. Um, and I, I think it, especially at the price, that you can get Toby Gerhardt out at this point. I think he's highly valuable. Um, I, I agree with you. I think they're going to play good defense. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to score. And I don't think their offense is going to be as bad as, as it has been. If you take the, the head coach Bradley, who you know came from Seattle, so you're looking at someone who's who's modeling what they're doing in Seattle, and what do they do with Marshawn Lynch? They just you know give him the ball. So I, I don't think Gerhardt is as talented as Lynch, but he's not that far off. Yeah, I think it's very interesting when a team drafts a running back in the second round, when it's cool to draft running backs early. It seems like so long ago that Toby Gerhardt was drafted to the Minnesota Vikings, and I was sitting there at the bar just extremely pissed off for for just completely screwing up what could have been a great immediate fantasy impact player um, to sit behind Adrian Peterson for a few years. And Asher and I haven't actually had a little bit of an aha moment about a month ago on the podcast where we were talking a little bit about Toby Gerhardt out loud. And, and basically, we're, we're dead on spot with you in, in that we, we actually think Toby Gerhardt is still a little bit undervalued. And, and this time next year, people are going to, from a dynasty perspective, be valuing Toby Gerhardt more than Zach Stacy, in our opinion, because a lot of people like to say, well, Zach Stacy was all based on volume, and, and that's great. And now Toby Gerhardt is going into a bad situation, and, and the, the offense isn't going to be ready to go. But, but come on. You know, he, he was running the football behind Kellen Friggin Clemens. You can't get any worse than that. So I, I'm, I'm very much so comparing Toby Gerhardt to the likes of Zach Stacy. And, and I think in Dynasty right now, I really don't think he's getting the love that, that he should be getting right now yeah and, and one more thing i mentioned this on a recent podcast with uh with jj uh, at, at late round qb man i you know i don't get into strength of schedule I, I really don't but sometimes i peek at it and i looked at toby gerhardt's and man he is freaking cake you know i mean first of all he plays everybody in that you know single a division uh it's like a, it's like the minor leagues of the nfl uh, and then you look at other teams that they play. I mean, they're playing a last-place schedule, you know. They're, they're playing, like, the, the one of the easiest schedules in, in the league. Get down, Evan. Get down. <laughs> no, so, so, man, I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm surprised that people are th- trying to throw so much cold water on Toby Gerhardt when, you know, look, if this team is competitive on a weekly basis – and I think that they will be against, you know, a, 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 just a cakewalk schedule. Uh, you know, I, would, I, I don't think that they would hesitate to give him the ball 350 times. And he's going to play on passing downs. I think he's got more upside than, than people are giving him credit for. 
Yeah, I, I think we very much all agree on Toby Gerhardt here. We we might not all agree on Trent Richardson, and, and he's another guy that's another wild card that we, you really can't plant a flag uh, you know, across the entire fantasy community right now. So what are your thoughts on Trent Richardson short and long term? Is he going to be able to pull it back together? Will he ever get back to that elite top tier you know, perceived value he came into the league with? And is, is he going to get snaked a little bit by Ahmad Bradshaw? in the short term here. Yeah, so I'm not giving up long term on Trent Richardson. The guy just turned 23. He just turned 23. We know we can catch passes, and we know we can break tackles. Uh, I mean, you can go to Pro Football Focus and look. The guy breaks tackles. We, we know we can do two things that are pretty critical elements of being a productive NFL back, a productive fantasy back. Uh, what we we have not been able to figure out is like why why can't he gain yards and he can't he for some reason he can't put his foot in the ground and explode uh, and I think that he has become very you, you remember before his rookie season he actually had two knee surgeries uh, he had two knee scopes uh, and then he was injured a ton as a rookie leaving games I know he played in fifteen games but he left a bunch of games early. And I wonder if that has really worn on him. He, he, he looks very blocking dependent to me. And I have no faith in the Colts being able to open holes for him. Uh, and I think that Ahmad Bradshaw will eventually prove to be their better option in the backfield. I mean, I think they're going to have to play spread offense. They're not going to have a power running game. Uh, and Ahmad Bradshaw is a better pass protector than Trent Richardson. I think that Ahmad Bradshaw is going to end up back there in the gun with Andrew Luck a lot, uh, kind of as this year's Donald Brown. Right now you can get Ahmad Bradshaw in uh, the 11th and 12th round of, of, of redrafts. Long term, you know, you're not going to get much for Trent Richardson probably. Uh, but, you know, I think for this year, if you do own Trent Richardson in, in Dynasty, me personally, I do. I do not. I did own him yeah. about halfway through last year, and I was I I was able to, to offload. I, I I did become a seller once I started looking into in, into him, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I really do think he is a very well kept secret who was able to really not have to go and perform at the combine and, and do a lot of drills because frankly I don't. And again, I I can't talk about this because it's hearsay. It's not factual but I certainly feel like there's a lot that was that was hidden there and he, he doesn't have the same ability to, to be able to do what he, he once was able to do. I, I guess I'm in the minority. I mean, I, li- I like Richardson this year and I like him going forward again. He, he's 23. He performed pretty well his rookie year, he, even though he was nicked up and he had the injuries coming out of college. I just I, I don't see him getting any worse than he was last year. So I, I'm actually probably higher on than most. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. I think where it comes down to is you, you're right, Asher. He's going to get the opportunity – the Colts went out of their way and traded away a first-round pick to put him on their team. So they have to see what they have in him, and he's going to get every opportunity to succeed or fail. So I think in that stance, you know, I'd probably, if I am an order, owner, I'd hang on to him, wait for he, for him to string together a couple games, but then I'm getting out of Dodge as soon as I can because long-term, <laughs> I just I don't think it's there. And if I can return a first-round value for Trent Richardson, I'm going to do it because the cards are already stacked against him for the long term. I guess. I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, I guess, I guess for me, it, it, I take into account <clears throat> maybe personal ego and and as far as the mental side of the game. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a top three pick and you get, you know, sent off, how many, I mean, what, what, at what point was Richardson traded last year? Like, what, after three, two or, games. After two games. So you're shipped out. You know, essentially for, you know, an unknown and a first-round pick. And you go into a new place, you're expected to learn a new new playbook, probably a worse offensive line. Um, I think your ego takes a pretty big hit, especially from someone who played at Alabama and then was that high of a draft pick. So I think maybe his mind wasn't in the right place. And I, I guess I'm just interested to see how that changes if he gets a little mentoring from Edger and James. Um, I expect him to bounce back 
but I might be crazy. Well, we certainly know you're crazy, but he might still bounce back. <laughs> Calvin Benjamin's another wild card, guys, that, you know, he, he really, it, it wasn't the norm for people to draft him early this offseason, you know, with, the, with an early first-round pick. But I don't think anybody is going to deny the opportunity he has here in the near term. So, so Evan, what are you doing with Calvin Benjamin long-term, and are you bought into him and what they're going to do in Carolina? I'm definitely bought into him. I, I think the question becomes, in redraft, when do you not when, – when you know, how high is too high? Because he's he's already moved from like 11th, 12th round to late 9th round. Uh, I, I have him uh, early 9th round, you know, but I don't know if I want to move him up a whole lot more than that. Uh, in Dynasty, he's real interesting because he's kind of old – and, you know, he's, he's kind of, like, unique. He's kind of, he's freakish almost. But, I, you know, if, if I landed him, I mean, you, right after the draft, you were probably been able to get Calvin Benjamin late first round because some people, you know, or maybe even early second round because some people were down on him. But I would feel real good about him right now. I mean, I think he's a perfect match for Cam Newton, uh, who has accuracy problems. And that's why the Panthers went out and got Calvin Benjamin because he's got – you know, 35 inch arms and he's six foot five, 240 pounds. And he's got, you know, 10 and a quarter inch hands and Cam Newton doesn't throw the ball with precision. So he needs a big wide receiver. Who's almost like a tight end to, to reel in his somewhat erratic passes. Uh, it's, he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. I, I think the question is, does he score seven or 12 as a rookie? Uh, and then, you know, how much better, is he able to get because he's like almost 24. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I think that he'll improve and everything, uh, but, you know, will there come a time where he's not getting a whole lot better, you know, and he's kind of limited in what he can do. I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to be like a, an 80 or 90 catch guy, uh, but I, I do think that he'll be a prolific scorer uh, day one that he, that he sets foot in the NFL. Asher, how do you feel about Calvin Benjamin now? Uh, I agree. I, I think he can he, he can be uh, you know a great weapon for Cam Newton. I'm not a huge Cam guy, but I understand the appeal and fantasy with the rushing yards and uh, kind of what he does week in week out. I don't like his age, but I guess with his where you could get him in a, in a rookie draft when you drafted was probably right on where Evan uh, you know said late first round early early second. Uh, I think that's good value for a guy that could easily finish you know, in, in um, the top 20, top 15 wide receivers this year. Yeah, I think you're right, and I actually, I, I don't want to, he was on my don't touch list all off season, and then of course he went to Carolina, and I went, well, crap. I can't keep him on my no-touch list because it's undeniable the opportunity he's going to find himself in now. So I didn't do a full 180, though. So I basically went from I'm not touching, I'm not drafting, to I'll still go ahead and draft him, even where his ADP is. And then I'll go ahead and, and sit on, on him, enjoy the production, and at the very least it gives me, as a dynasty owner, the opportunity to formulate a, a more complete opinion on him. Because if he does give you that seven to ten touchdowns you're going to be able to turn that into at minimum and another first round pick for the following year so you can decide you know is he going to give you the the perceived value and and the, the equity back then at that point you can kind of decide what you want to do with them long term so i think it's it's a win-win situation even if you don't like them i i think it's foolish not to not to at least give them give them the look at this point um, another rookie receiver that was also getting had at a value, along with Calvin Benjamin and Allen Robinson, but Evan already mentioned Allen's name, so he's no longer going to come at a value anymore. <laughs> Devonte Adams is another guy that was going right around pick two dot four 
in um, startup or rookie drafts right now. He's catching a lot of buzz. He looked a little sloppy in terms of ball control, um, but it really did look like he was running crisp routes. He certainly had all the production coming out of college and, and of course, uh, understandably uh, gained some comps to Michael Crabtree. And, and now we've got this wide receiver situation where Jordy Nelson was signed. Now we're wondering if Randall Cobb is going to be there. And of course, you know, Teddy over in Green, Green Bay really seems to know what he's doing with the receivers. So is Devontae Adams going to, to fit the mold as the number two wide receiver uh, for Aaron Rodgers for the next few years? Evan, I'll start with you. I think so. By the way, that ADP thing is a, a total myth. I, I know it's funny and, and everything, but I, I really don't move ADP. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been trying to bump down Rashad Jennings' ADP for seriously <laughs> since before training camp, and it's just risen. I mean, he's top he, he's top of the fourth round right now, and I've also been trying to move up Ruben Randles, but he's still in the ninth round, so that's mythical. I know it's funny, but it's not true. Anyways, Devontae Adams, <laughs> I, I feel real good about him. You know, I don't know if they're going to re-sign Randall Cobb after this year. He's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, I don't think that Ted Thompson has necessarily prioritized him. If he leaves and go gets a gets a bunch of money somewhere else, Ted Thompson will look at it like, well, we get a third round compensatory pick. I think they'd be fine, you know, unless Randall Cobb really blows up this year. I think they'd be fine with letting him walk. Uh, Jeff Janis, by the way, has been tearing it up. Uh, he tore it up in OTAs and he was getting first-team reps today. Uh, so stock up on him. This team knows how to draft wide receivers, my goodness. And uh, Devontae Adams, you know, whatever, he had a slow start to his first two weeks of training camp. His projection is, you know, fantastic. Uh, he was drafted by, you know, the, the best wide receiver drafting GM in the NFL. He gets to play on a team with you know, arguably the most talented quarterback in the NFL, I'm feeling great about Devontae Adams. If you see somebody who's starting to, you know, who owns him and is starting to get a little worried, take him off their hands. Asher, what are you thinking about Devontae Adams? I like him as well. Um, I think he's, he's unlike Kelvin Benjamin, you know, you, you may not get that production year one, um, but I think definitely, you know, depending on what happens with Cobb, like Evan said, there's a, there's a good chance he can step into the starting role next year or towards the end of the season. And, and Cobb hasn't been the most healthy of players anyhow. So, you know, there's a good chance he gets nicked up at some point and Adams um, steps in, you know, during the season and, and um, really maximizes that value. So I think if you can get him at the end of the first or those, even in the second round of your rookie draft, I think that's great value. He's one of those players, guys, that I'm not letting get past me. I've been willing to and have taken him at 1.6, and I know that sounds crazy, um, but I'm a, I'm a swing for the fence kind of owner, and I actually like Devontae Adams even more than Jordan Matthews, and that's an interesting take because it also has a lot to do with team construct um, because Jordan Matthews, I think, is going to be a beast for a long time, but, you know, he's going to be in an offense with Chip Kelly where they're not going to be afraid to, to spread the wealth a little bit they're going to run a lot more than what you're going to see in Aaron Rodgers uh, with Green Bay so it's just one of those things where your safer pick is no doubt about it Jordan Matthews but chances are Jordan Matthews is gone by the time you're looking at Devontae Adams. And and we've seen it time and time again where these, these Green Bay receivers, um, whether they have to sit for one to three years when we talk about, you know, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, um, even James Jones, I mean, they get drafted in, in rookie drafts in the second round. And I don't understand why because they become top 10 to top 12 dynasty wide receivers as soon as they hit the field. So it's it's an absolute priority to put a guy like Devonta Adams on your team. Evan, we're approaching the hour here, so we won't keep you any longer here. Uh, real quick for the folks out there, if you haven't already, get to the site, fakepigskin.com backslash guide. Get your copy of the Fake Pigskin Fantasy Football Draft Guide. It's only $5. Again, get rid of that overpriced cafe latte for just one day is all we're asking. Just one day. Get yourself 32 team previews, your studs, 
your duds, your sleepers, your IDP, your depth charts. Of course, we have awesome dynasty content in there in terms of strategy and some rankings and all that other good and fun stuff that comes with every other fantasy football draft guide. But again, it's only $5. So head over to the site and check it out. Evan, we, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and spending the time with us and, and also dodging dodging the, the 5 0 along the way as well. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always out here ducking, man. Right. No, I, I appreciate it, uh, Jeremy and Asher, for having me on. I, I love talking about this stuff. You know, great, great show, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. We would be absolutely, absolutely ecstatic to do so. Asher, any closing words from you, my man? Um, no, I can just kind of echo what you said. Really, uh, a big thanks to Evan for coming on tonight, you know, spending the time with us, and uh, we really appreciate that. And as always, you can find uh, me at uh, on Twitter at RealABC. Jeremy, where can they find you? And then lastly, sorry, Evan, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at, uh, at Evan Silva uh, and rotoworld.com. Excellent. Evan, any other uh, plugs you want to do before we uh, we get on out of here? No, man, I'm, I'm all out of plugs. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're all plugged out, guys. Thanks for coming out. Have a good night. Say hi to your mom for me. Up your butt, Joe Boo. Post game show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you gotta hang tough to me.